Hey, welcome to ACC Talk. My name is Jarrell. My name is Dave. And I'm Quinn. Hey, and we just want to welcome you guys back. We have been talking about friendship and then singleness, and this week we were talking about marriage. And so with that being said, let's just kind of jump right in. I want to know from the both of you, how did you know you were ready to get married? Or how do you know that it was the right timing? You want me to share my Jesus moment? (laughs) I actually am a very odd story with knowing, and I don't expect that the Lord does this for everyone, but I think what it shows me is that God, when you are supposed to be with someone, he'll make sure you get with them. And what I had happen was my husband and I had had this little fling for years starting in middle school. And I had always liked him, then put him in the friend zone, then liked him friend zone, liked him friend zone. And he was always dead set. You are the one. I will marry you. Very arrogant, actually. Very. Where I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm like, get over yourself. I'm like, I'm saying no. He's like, that's fine, but you will. And um, anyway, one day he went out with me and we were just talking as friends. And he was like, hey, I'm not, I, I don't want to be your friend. And I want to marry you. I want to have kids with you. And basically like laid it all on the line, which was incredibly bold because we actually were not even dating. But he just like, let me know, like, this is what I want from you. And this is what I don't want. And the Holy Spirit just like, honestly, like the voice of God came down in that car. I felt it. I felt it from my head down. I actually like melted into the sea. And I just heard the Lord say, he is the one. It's Joe. Like he will be your husband. And I was able to just look at him and say, okay, cool. I'll marry you. And from that point on, there was nothing that could undo that in my heart. But I've laughed about that so many times since. There was actually several things the Lord did to confirm he was the one. And I think because God knew I really, really needed to not mess that up. And he made sure it didn't get messed up. And I think about it all the time. It was the best, best decision I could have made. God knew I was a little, little stupid. Dave, did you have an experience like that? It's actually funny. I knew my wife in high school and I did not like her. And then went to college and she randomly came to the same college. Had no idea each other were going to this college. And I just remember being around her and seeing her and we, we were friendly. And then she just started, I was a youth pastor in college and one of her best friends was one of my leaders and her friend invited her in to be a leader on our youth team. And just through that process, just really saw her for who she was and just really got to know who she was. And there was just this process of through that, of where our, just our hearts just started to get knit together. And just through that dating process, just came to that this was someone that I could spend my life with. And what really sealed it for me was that when we talked about our relationship with God, it was clear to me that her relationship with God was better than mine. And I knew that on that foundation that we could build a marriage. And so We started dating, we dated for six months, and I proposed, had no idea what my job was gonna be, had no idea where we were even going to live when I graduated college, but just just knew that she was the one and knew that she was right. And so it wasn't perfect, I didn't know everything, but I I just knew that she was the person that we could make this work with. 
Yeah, definitely. Very similar. I met Josie. I did not like her. It was so, it's such a strange deal. Like she had just come from New York. And so she had a very New York accent. And she was also, it's actually weird because I feel like she's a little bit different now, but she was very loud. And so I heard her and I was like, who, who is that? <laughs> and then she turned to her roommate at the time and said, hey, I'm going to marry him. And it, it, the moment that I think that she heard me talk, she was like, no, that must be wrong. <laughs> and so with that being said, so very similar. I think within maybe we were probably friends for two months. And then we dated for a month and then we were engaged by January. So we met in August, we're engaged by January, and then we were married in June. And so it was super quick when we were getting married. Same deal. Didn't know anything. Like we knew we were going to continue to go to school. And so we knew that. We could see a, the thing that was interesting is I could see a life with her. And that's how I felt like I knew. Like I knew that we would be serving in ministry together. I could imagine us. So I felt like we had similar callings. And so that was cool. But those things were kind of at the time. Now I look back on it like, oh my goodness, it didn't feel like I had a ton of faith. It just felt like there was a ton of certainty. And now, like, especially with so many divorces and so many friends that got married and they didn't make it, I look back and I don't feel like it's luck but I do count myself extremely blessed that we're still together. Quinn, yeah, but you look like you're about to say something. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to, but we don't have time. I really wanted to know why didn't you like Sharon? She, she's like a little lovable ray of sunshine. Like, I can't yes, fathom it. Yes, in high school, she, so I was, I was introverted and she was very in a feminist spot. And so guys were bad. Got it. And so just that was not my favorite. I, I just, I love her, that the, she loves court TV. And then the Josie thing, I just can't fathom that she seemed loud. Yeah, that blew my mind. She's like, a gentle spirit to me. Yeah, so this is, this is Josie, okay? So she spent about a year and a half being a nanny in New York. Mm. And so I want you to imagine four-inch stilettos, mm -hmm. handbags for every day, shoes for every day different outfits for every day, and we're in the Midwest. Like, we are in Missouri. Wait, Josie or the- Josie. Josie would wear stilettos? Like, tall stilettos. And I'm talking about not like the stilettos that were like, you know, like, I'm talking about like pinpoint green, purple, and just fancy, fancy everything. Like, New York City, and she was in the farmlands of Missouri. And so one of the things that we would do is terrible. She would, we would say, hey, can you say awful? And she would say waffle, that's waffle. And we're like, that's what? It's waffle. <laughs> and so she had adopted that very New York accent. And I don't even think that she was, I mean, she, she was loud for the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Not, maybe not even necessarily like loud in general, but just very, very vibrant and Okay, well, yes. let me just say, I just have to collectively observe that one of the things that's similar, a similar thread through all of our stories is at first glance, who God absolutely wanted us with was not necessarily who we knew would be the person, right? There's oh, like a so trait, sweet. there's something that stands out where you're like, good person, like you, yes, but no, not for me. And I think that that's really something to really think about, you know, as far as just the way that works. A lot of times, 
there is a growth and there's this, oh, actually we do have something similar. Really to be super corny, one of my favorite phrases is whatever souls are made of, yours and mine is the same. And I think that's similar in friendship, but also marriage. Like you just meet these people along the way where you're like, "Eh, your soul's like mine. Your soul's like mine. I get it. I get it. Which we can equate to Jesus, right? But there's just something there where you're like, we, this works. Like we are aligned. Yeah. Let's dive in to the hard stuff, because if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that conflict is a thing. And so Dave, you actually had a really great question as we were kind of meeting before this, but how about you, how about you fire that question? Yeah, my question, what do you do in a marriage when you come into, and at some point in a marriage, everybody's going to find this, where you find a conflict or an argument that you just cannot seem to find a resolution for as a married couple? Don't panic. Don't panic and expect it. Actually, you're going to find, most couples will, that most of the fights we have, they're called perpetual problems, they cycle. And you're going to have a large group of issues throughout your marriage that repeat themselves that honestly you never find full resolve on. And that can be something like introvert, extrovert, clean, messy, you know, I want to have finances. Finances. (laughs) I love to spend. You love to save. I want to have everyone over. You want to just be alone. And you find yourself having to work through this time and time again, parenting, really strict, really laid back. And you can't just necessarily make your partner change their personality. So what you have to do is find this sense of love and respect for the difference. And honestly, what I can say is it has to be a flexible mindset in yielding and bending and serving toward one another. There's going to be times where one person has to lean in and go, oh, really don't want to spend that money, but I understand I always want to say no. The other person has to lean in and say, oh, we'll go out with friends, even though it makes me cringe because I don't like these people. There just has to be this sense of we serve one another. And honestly, peace that it won't always be fully resolved, depending on what the issue is, but just the sense of flexibility around it. Flexibility. Flexibility yields happiness. So one thing that people don't know is that Quinn is a marriage and family therapist, and so she's licensed and so has tons of wisdom. But I'm going to press in even a little bit deeper because I do think that what do you do when you feel like you've bended and yielded, but like we're at a like we've had a wall or this is like a a showstopper. Like, what do we do for that sort of situation? Like the other partner, one partner, you're asking what happens in a relationship when you've reached a conflict, you've reached something where you're head to head and one person feels like I've bended, I'm being flexible, I'm seeing your side and you're not willing to see my side. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that or just like for both of you. Can you give me an example? So so let's just say, Yes, hypothetically. Hypothetically, that both individuals in the marriage are stubborn. And you have an argument and neither person will concede the point. And it just feels like they just always argue about the same point and find no resolution. How do you, as a married couple, get through an argument like that? Hypothetically. Hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, because I have never been in this position and I know none of us have been. Hypothetically speaking, I would say you just won't be able to do that. You can't dig your heels in. It just doesn't work. It does not work 
when you do not see eye to eye for both people to remain in a posture of, I am right and you are wrong. It just will not get you anywhere. You have to find some level of, I can see that portion about what you're saying. And now I need you to come back at me and say, I agree on that portion with me. And there has to be even the teeniest bit of, I will give you that. I will give you that. I could understand that side. And what that does, it instantly takes people that are puffed up in their chest ready to fight and begins to take that air out of that. And you go, all right, well, then I'll also say that I can give you that. And then the person's like, well, then I can kind of see that perspective, too. And you've got to back your way out of it. Empathy has to be your way to handle conflict. Putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Not agreeing that you're saying you're right. You're right. Oh, I very much totally agree. You're right. And I see it your way. It's saying I care enough about you that I will say I understand why you would feel like that. I can see that perspective. And often just that gives enough grace and enough bend within it that you can find some resolution. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. And and I, let's just take it out of the hypothetical. My <laughs> wife and I struggle with this sometimes. And the thing that really helps us is having couples that we both trust that have been there before, that love Jesus, that can, that when we are having an argument like that, and we can't get to that place where we just kind of start to back down, that we have other people that can speak into it and, and say, hey, you're being a jerk and you need to go to apologize to your wife for this right now. And just having somebody else who isn't my wife say that to me is incredibly valuable. And I also love what you said about just don't panic. Mm -hmm. I think that is so, so, such an incredible piece of advice. I read a book, it was called the, the Four Loves or the Four Laws of Love about marriage. It's this book about marriage. And it was just it had this incredible quote and this incredible thing that there's this study that was done of couples, these married couples, and they asked the question, are you very unhappy in your marriage right now? And they, they took note of everybody who said yes. So everybody who said yes in this study, they took note and they followed up with them five years later. And Every single person who had said that they were very unhappy in their marriage, who were still married five years, said that they were really happy in their marriage. And what I love is that this speaks to the idea that just because you're unhappy now doesn't mean you'll be unhappy later. And that, that Satan wants you to believe that the way that you feel right now is the way that you'll feel forever. And you just have to get out of this situation so you don't feel that way. And that's not true. Like there is a way out. Don't panic. It won't always be like this. And if you just stick it out, you'll come to the other side with a stronger marriage and just a better, better, better relationship with Jesus because you were all able to make it to the other side of that conflict. Absolutely. And if anything, you know, kind of bouncing off that, I would also say don't panic and also expect it. Expect to have moments where it's like, I could not disagree with you more if I tried. And, and don't be surprised by that because two people 
enter a marriage, two people with ideas and opinions and beliefs. And we want you to be, for a healthy marriage, we need two healthy people. We don't need one person. We don't need one person saying, oh yeah, I agree with everything you say. And we don't need the other person saying, I agree with everything you say because that's unattractive and that's not true. That's not true to who we are. So if it is two people that become one, right, through God, there is still going to be two sets of ideas and opinions. And that's really nothing to be scared of. Often what we make the mistake of doing is going, you need for this to work, you need to think like me and you need to act like me and we better see eye to eye in everything or we're a train wreck. And actually you married that person because they don't think just like you. They're a compliment to you. They balance you. Where you're weak, typically we pick people that have the strength of the balance of this, you know, the, here's their strength. This is, they're strong, we're weak. We're strong, they're weak. And it's a beautiful balance. We often, as time goes on, make the mistake of thinking, you better become like me for this to work. And that's one of the most harmful things we can actually do. We want to love and respect them for who they are and be okay to respect who they are, even if it's not just like we are. And that honestly makes your love stronger and your relationship last with so much more joy and fulfillment than trying to make them be you, <laughs> which is just human tendency. I mean, we really are. It's like, no, think just like me. It's like, well, I married you because you were really ambitious, but now you don't work. You work too much. So, you know, uh, kind of following on that, the question that I have in that and I'm, I think about it and I think is is the reason that we want our partners to become like us because we are finding too much of our identity in that relationship. Yeah. And, and so we are, we're trying to get all of our identity out of that relationship. And so then if you don't agree with me, like my world just gets destroyed and I don't understand instead the, of finding our identity in God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Preach. That's what I would say. The therapeutic term would be enmeshment, but it's where you just become so with somebody, you cannot differentiate your emotions, your beliefs, and they have to be just like you for you to function healthily. Also, you can call it codependency. I mean, there's so many words, but that's not the design of how God wants that. And I truly, and I love it when I see someone do this, when you can be in the room with someone who fully sees something completely different from you and you can see the person's not upset, they're okay, they're peaceful, and they can genuinely be listening, they care, and be able to say, I, I don't see it that way or that hasn't been my perspective, but that's really interesting. And just walk away being able to be like, I respect you. That's a healthy person. That's a really healthy person. You're indicating you have some heart work to do if you truly cannot tolerate someone that doesn't think like you. That's really cool. Well, hey, speed round. I want one marriage tip. We're about to end the, the end the podcast, but just one thing that you feel like is great for a healthy marriage. Just one tip. Be the best servant. Make it a competition. Who can serve the other person the best? And you will have an incredible marriage. Paul, Paul tells us in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that submission process to the other person is what is going to make your marriage great. My favorite marriage tip always, always will be call out the good. When you see the good, when they're doing the good, when something hits your heart and you're like, oh my gosh, I love you. Don't keep it to yourself. You need to let them know because it's just this reinforcement process. Marriage really is teaching. You're teaching your spouse how to love you well. 
And we, we make the mistake of thinking they should just know how to love me. They've been with me for years. No, we all need reinforcement. We all need teaching. We all need training. So every time you say, hey, thanks so much, like that really meant a lot to me. You're telling them, I really like it when you do that. And they hear that and they respond. So call out the good. Definitely. You know, I would say, just trying to put this into words, marriage tip. I don't know if it's even correct, but I just see it in my own life is that husbands, you need to be genuinely the person that just loves them so much that you're willing to go first in this, in the sense of like, forgive first, be the sort of person that serves first, be the sort of person that genuinely sacrifices first. And if you do that, I feel like everything just kind of goes in line and goes in order. But that moment that you feel like you need to be served and that moment that you feel like, like, oh, because I've done so much, you know, that there should be some immense form of gratitude that your wife or that your children should have towards you. You kind of get into the spot of, I don't know, not loving your wife in the capacity that you need to be able to love her. And I think that you should go first. And it's because you're not being the leader of your family in, in being the servant, like, that's absolutely biblical. I mean, Jesus, Paul tells us later on in Ephesians five, he says, you should love your wife like Christ loved the church that he gave his own life up for her. And if you aren't willing to give your life up for your wife, you are not doing it correctly. There's legitimately no greater call. Let me tell you a tip for all husbands based on something my husband does and kind of saying sort of a combination of everything we're talking about. Something that Joe does that has made all the difference in the world, and it does two things. It's not just for my heart, but it's for the heart of the boys. He calls out the good and affirms me in front of them constantly, but brings attention to them. So he'll say, hey, kids, look at your mom. Does she not look like the most helpful mom? Look at her helping you with her homework right now. Everyone, look at her over here. She's look. You are so blessed that you have a mom that will do this with you. I walk in from work. Boys. Are you guys thankful that you have a mom that's working for the family? Tell your mom thank you and just calls it out. And he just constantly from, who's the most beautiful boys? Who's the most beautiful woman in the world? And they answer, I'm not sure it's mom. (laughs) And then then he says, okay, but as even as your mom, is there anyone that's as you're only be with someone as pretty as her? But anyway, my point is he does such a great job of affirming me, but pulling them into it. And I think for the kids to see that in a marriage and husbands, if you're listening, like that is just profoundly impactful for the wife to feel affirmed in front of her children. And then for the kids to see the father doing that and then vice versa. Wives do it, too. I mean, but you'll get you'll definitely get white points for sure. I'm going to steal that. Good. (laughs) I should be doing it. Well, that's awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys for joining us for ACC Talk. And we will see you next week when we are talking about parenting.